What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're recording this on a Wednesday evening. Meg Rowley of the Hardball Times, she's the managing editor there, is here. And Meg, what did you think of the bold strategy of the MLB commissioner to attack the sport's best player? Bold move, Cotton. Gosh, I, you know, I think that um, sometimes it's it's fun to pile on uh, for with Manfred because you know he his job is to fret about baseball and it's you know easy to make fun of people who are fretting but uh moments like this sometimes make me wonder if he fundamentally misunderstands the product that he's trying to market um not great it's not great i mean one of i think one of the things he's failing to appreciate here seems to is that um baseball having a lot of different faces as it were is a a feature of the sport, not a bug. You know, it's something that I think a lot of people take, uh, take pride in and they take comfort in the fact that there are so many different kinds of people who play the game and, uh, that each market sort of has their guy who they like the best and, um, that that might vary year to year or even week to week. And, um, that's a way to bring in a lot of different kinds of people to the sport. And, um, I think that if there are other personalities, maybe more dynamic personalities or even personalities that are just more interested in participating in, uh, you know, a, a marketing dialogue with fans, it's not like, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding one. Like when we watched the all-star game yesterday, you know, Francisco Lindor is like intimidatingly charming. <laughs> um, and so to, to look at the sport and, and have, you know, a personality like that to have someone like Mookie Betts, to have all of these great guys who are so engaging and interesting on the field and then do show sort of fun quirks and personalities off it and to not be able to build something sustainable around that diversity seems like a failure of imagination on the league's part that I just can't account for. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it seems like with the NBA doing so many things right, 
this is like one of those easy things that you kind of touched on where everybody has their own guy. Like every NBA team, like every fan base has their guy or there's just something where it, everybody's propped up and it's just, there's not one fit. Like LeBron James is clearly the league's best player, but he's um, like, there's still a bunch of conversation around Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, everybody else. And everybody gets to join in on the fun. And like every single team's move is under a microscope and it's fun. We love argument like Kawhi Leonard today. That's what everybody's talking about. Um, so, it's just you can have more than one superstar and i don't know if there's a thing now i think back in the day it was just like only a couple of guys were asked to carry the mantle for the the league of like hey you're the biggest star you need to go above and beyond to attract all these different uh viewers and help in that regard but i think now just there's a uh, room for everybody like you you pointed out like with lindor mookie Betts, and everybody else where it's like it, it should be expected for Mike Trout to ha- like to carry that mantle. Um, but it just, it was weird and it was so unnecessary. I didn't really understand what the, what he was going for with that. Like, it, was he prompted to say something like that? Like what was the rationale behind it? Yeah. That's the other part of the strategy that I don't quite understand because let's say that you want to have that conversation. And I uh, look, I get wanting to talk about Mike Trout. I mean, at Fangraphs, we, we talk about Mike Trout a lot. He is an incredible baseball player. He is a generational talent. There's an argument to be made that he is the best all around player. The game has literally ever seen. And so I understand the impulse to try to build around this sort of once in a lifetime opportunity to have a guy like that on the field. But if he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it. And I don't quite understand the value the league gets in litigating that kind of reluctance in person in public, because all you're going to end up doing is setting up a situation like we saw today where the team he that Mike Trout plays for felt the need to respond publicly to something that the commissioner had said, you know, the day after the league had, you know, their big celebration, but also had, you know, another player embroiled in controversy after the all-star game. So I don't quite know what they thought they were accomplishing by sort of trying to force Mike Trout's hand uh, in doing this. I mean, I think that people who appreciate his play love him and appreciate him and think that he's a wonderful, uh, you know, representative of the game. I I find something kind of refreshing in a player who's as good as he is, just having no seeming interest in, in doing the whole, you know, marketing rigmarole, which isn't to say that there's anything wrong with the players who want to have more public facing personalities, but it's sort of a, a, a nice thing in, in an era where, you know, every player feels the need to be a brand and sort of market themselves that way to have a guy who just seemingly wants to play baseball hang out with his wife and talk about the weather i mean and it's genuine yeah like it's just if he did something different and he pivoted a little bit where it would come off as trying too hard of like oh this guy's a little insecure in his own shoes and it's kind of like that kevin durant thing a little bit where it's like they're never going to be comfortable and they're trying to be something they're not in some instances but that kind of thing like mike trout is who he is right. and it's not going to be like i'm not dying to listen to a mike trout interview similar to how I'm not really excited about listening to Kawhi Leonard talk about certain things. Like it's just, it's their personality. They can't help it. But like it, just being mad at someone's personality when in, he does a lot of great things well, and he's a really good baseball player. And um, I, I just, it's just a weird thing. I can't imagine any other league just openly criticizing the league's best player and just for not being vocal enough, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's just weird. Yeah, especially when you have, you know, I, I think that 
it would be one thing if, I don't know, Mike Trout were sitting here espousing stodgy old beliefs or were, you know, genuinely problematic in some way. I mean, I watched his interview before the All-Star game yesterday and it was a little awkward because it's clear that he doesn't really care about this. And he expressed a preference that players be able to be themselves and express themselves on the field and have fun. And if I'm if I'm Manfred, I'm looking at that and saying this is a win, right? This guy wants everyone to have a good time. He wants everyone to be themselves. He is creating room in this game that has at times been, you know, for much of its life been bound by sort of a very stodgy conservative understanding of what personalities we're going to allow on the field and the right way to play the game. And we still see that stuff litigated in the most like bizarre and, and sort of old school ways. And so your best player is saying, everyone go do their own thing, express themselves, have a good time. That's a win. Like, take take your ball and go home, Rob. You're you're doing great. And then turn the camera to Francisco Lindor and let America just like fall in love with this incredibly dynamic personality. It just seems like such an unforced error on the league's part and a real sort of misunderstanding of what younger sports fans in particular are looking for when they're looking to, you know, sports as a, a means of entertainment and coming together. And I, I just people just like watching great players do great things like that's all it takes because ultimately he delivers on the field which is what you want you want guys who do amazing things on your baseball field like that's ultimately the goal is to win games and and unfortunately he has been in a situation where he has not been able to do so the one thing on the all-star stuff i think what we learned maybe this is because i don't watch a lot of orioles games is that uh, manny machado needs to be mic'd up every time (laughs) like that is something we definitely learned is that guy has no filter and would be hilarious on a live mic every every single week. Now that we know he's friends with Kemp and everything yeah. else, you know Kemp's relationship with Jansen. Oh, let's do this. I, let's mic everybody I up. I think that we had a couple of, I mean, they were very, um, it, you know, I don't know if it was strategy or luck on, on the broadcast part in terms of who they mic'd up, but, you know, we saw this a little bit last year. It was really cool. They had George Springer who speaks with a stutter and has been a really great advocate for uh, young people in particular who deal with that. He was mic'd up for an inning, which, you know, was a nice little bit of bravery on his part and sort of a move mm-hmm. for acceptance. And this year, I mean, like, I like Charlie Blackman fine. I had no reason to think I wouldn't. That's the most I've ever enjoyed Charlie Blackman. Like they, I think they really did a good job in terms of finding different personalities who were, you know, ready to be talkative, ready to kind of give the broadcast a a hard time when necessary and also give great insight. (laughs) I mean, I think they did a a really good job with that kind of stuff. And so again, going back to Trout, it just shows that there's no dearth of personality in the league and there are guys who are willing to have those conversations and sort of assume that mantle and give give them an opportunity. They're great dynamic players and they have funny things to say. And, you know, anyone who's going to give, you know, Joe Buck a hard time is okay by me. So. Oh, wow. Going after Joe Buck. <laughs> Joe does a fine job broadcasting his heart. I like Joe now. He's actually low-key good. He's now become uh, underrated, I think, in a lot of circles. I think he's good. We just, we, you know, they're... He seems a lot more self-aware now. I think that was the early troubles where it was like, and there's something where I always... I go back and forth on whether or not to feel bad about guys who followed in their father's footsteps in this kind of thing, yeah. where it's like they you're already against some of like the nepotism factor and everything else. 
But um, I don't know. I feel like we figured out a lot more of who he actually is. I think he's been more open and honest about like his stuff and just his insecurities and everything else. Like he's actually, he's kind of refreshing now. I'm okay with Joe Buck. My Joe Buck take is that baseball is actually his best sport, which I think a lot of people would disagree with, but I think that, yeah, I I would disagree. I think that's his best sport actually. Um, And I think part of it's the pairing, Uh, you know, that is, that is not my favorite uh, NFL broadcast booth. Let's put it that way. Um, So I would agree on that. I think that uh, he he does a, he does a good job. A lot of the um, just no more Ernie Johnson playoff. Yeah, jeez, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> and baseball just feels weird on TBS for the playoffs. I don't like TBS playoff games for baseball. I'm never gonna get there. It's always gonna look weird to me. No, you're just feels you're not wrong. Okay, so I'm not crazy. No, you're not uh, wrong. I mean the the just even the broadcast itself, like the technical aspect. This is not my that is not my area of expertise. So I'm only reacting to it as a viewer and also someone who would prefer like good camera angles so that I can look at the game professionally the way I need to. But yeah, that's that's not my favorite of all the broadcasts. Put it that way. Uh. <laughs> well, we're in agreement there. The last thing I'll say on Trout is the one thing I would push back on is the idea that because the Angels have been bad, I've seen this all over Twitter today of like, well, they've been in the playoffs one time in like four years and it's like he's been on a bad team and it's not his fault. You can be a superstar in a league and be on a bad team for the majority of your career. That has nothing to do with Mike Trout not being a bigger commodity. I've never, like the whole him not being in the playoffs thing, I don't believe in that, especially in baseball where there's 162 games anyway. Yeah. And the playoffs come and go so fast. Like, I don't think that matters at all. And I've seen that a lot and I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's a testament to Trout's talent. Um I, I think there are players for whom that, that sort of postseason success really does fundamentally alter the way that we view them as players. I mean, and I'm, I don't mean this as a knock on David Ortiz, but like David Ortiz's postseason career is a huge part of why Big Poppy was Big Poppy, right? That is sort of an indelible part of his contribution to the game. And so I think there are players, even very good players, Hall of Fame players who benefit dramatically from having those October moments. And you do, you know, have an opportunity to reach a part of the audience that is maybe not watching Angels baseball uh, because, you know, they're on the West Coast, so their games are on late, uh, at least for people on the East Coast. So I think there's something to it, but I do think it is a testament to just how transcendent a player someone like Mike Trout is that I tend to agree with you. I don't think that it matters in terms of his legacy in the game or or sort of how we're going to think of him in 20 years. And, you know, part of that's going to probably be determined by the fact that he probably won't be in L.A. Uh, for the majority of his career. Right. He's going to sign a contract likely somewhere else. But um I just think is that the Mariners fan in you or do you actually think he's uh, going to leave after this contract? I think he'll leave after this contract. I don't think he's coming okay. to Seattle to be, <laughs> to be clear. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that he will probably, find, That's a good take, yeah, right? I, I think he will find his way to an East coast market um, or, or maybe, you know, scoot, scoot along on the highway in LA. Um, but there you go. Yeah. So I, I don't think that Trout will, likely stay in Anaheim although who knows I mean if if their fortunes sort of turn around in the next year or two you know he seems to like it there as an organization but um you know I think that I think a lot of players will look at um sort of otherwise equal free agent opportunities and if they have a an opportunity to be in a contending situation I think that does matter a lot to players so I wouldn't be surprised to see him move on when his contract's up interesting 
Yeah, but I just like if Manny Ramirez played his entire career in Cleveland, I think he still would have been a superstar that people talked about. Right. I think A Rod, wherever he played, yep. was just going to be Bryce Harper. Doesn't matter where he goes, people are going to talk about Bryce Harper. There's just certain personality types, and like it just it doesn't matter. If Mike Trout was on a good team, the Angels were in the playoffs a lot, he might be a little bit bigger of a star, but I don't think it would have moved the needle that much. I just, yeah, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning where it's just his personality yeah. and um, you just kind of live, you got to live with it. I, I can understand, I guess, in the broadest of terms that like man for just being like, I wish this guy had an A-Rod like personality. Like if he had just said something or David Ortiz or whoever, like mm-hmm. just a little bit, but it's just not who he is. No. Just attacking. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but Anyway, Manny Machado, who may or may not be a Dodger, by the way, depending <laughs> on what the Orioles... He, um, he might be a Dodger by the end of this podcast. <laughs> very possible. Anything's up, anything is up for grabs uh, with the Orioles, uh, as Jerry Krasnick pointed out today, that uh, this is just the way things work when you do business with Baltimore. So everybody dying to get Zach Britton or Dylan Bundy or whoever, Adam Jones, future Red Adam Jones, ha- shout out to uh, John Taylor and I for our future Reds uh, podcast, <laughs> who just... Adam Jones just feels like a future Red. And we were going through like all the bad pitchers that like we assume was a starting pitcher for the Reds at one point or another in like the last 15 years. It's a really fun game to play. So I highly encourage you back to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole of like, did this guy pitch for the Reds and was he terrible for like a year and a half? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's great. But Manny Machado, he might be a Dodger. Um, it looks like fact, that's what's going to happen. Looking at Twitter uh, right now, Ken Rosenthal is uh, reporting that Machado's been notified and the deal is official. So breaking news in the past. <laughs> there we go. So it is a thing now. Manny Machado is a Dodger. He'll be playing shortstop, which is what he wanted because Corey Seager is on the shelf uh, until next year. Um, and you know, Chris Taylor can move back to his super utility role, which is what he was best at prior to being an everyday player. And uh, you have Justin Turner there. But um, what are your early thoughts on the deal for both teams right now? So I will admit that um, as I'm scrolling through this, I'm trying to see what the prospect return is. But let's set that aside because I'm not a prospect expert, though I would encourage you to uh, check out what I'm sure will be uh, posted coverage of it at Fangraphs by the time this goes up. Um I, I like this for LA. I think that we, um, we, as if we kind of look at this from our perspective as fans, rather than, you know, sort of front office prognosticators, which is a role that fans so often try to fill these days. Uh, I think we can get a little cute with this kind of stuff. You know, you want to, you want to get return, um, for, for good players. You want to make sure that you are sort of treating the future of your organization carefully when trading away prospects. But at the end of the day, the Dodgers get to play Manny Machado every day. <laughs> and like yeah. the, the return is that they get Manny Machado and Manny Machado is pretty good at baseball. And so I understand why fans will be sort of nervous about sending prospects away. You know, you look at someone like, um, you know, the, the return for Araldis Chapman that the Cubs sent the Yankees away. I'm sure the Yankees are thrilled with that, but the Cubs also got to win a world series and we can sort of debate exactly how much, um, you know, Chapman ended up meaning to that, to that effort, but they won a world series <laughs> and the Cubs kind of needed to do that. And their poor fan base sort of needed that win and they got to enjoy it a great deal. So I, I like it when teams, especially teams that have sort of the resources like the Dodgers actually put those resources to use to try to improve the product on the field and narrow the margin that they are going to have between being a really amazing powerhouse in the playoffs and being a pretty good team. And a lot of stuff can happen in the playoffs, but 
when you have uh, players like Machado on your roster, you sort of increase the likelihood that you are going to put that sort of amazing dynamic uh, season together for your fans. And I, I think that, um, you know, this allows them to not play Logan Forsyth anymore, which is good because he's not Pour one out for not him. especially good. Uh, sorry, Logan. Uh, you've had some good moments. But, you know, I think that when you look at this Dodgers lineup, you're now in a position where, you know, your worst case scenario is having to maybe move Cody Bellinger to the outfield sometimes. That's a pretty good worst case scenario from the Dodgers perspective. And I think that as they've seen some of their pitchers get healthy and they've seen, um, you know, sort of a return to the form that we were expecting from them in the beginning of the season, moves like this can really solidify your position in a division that's been surprisingly competitive. And as they look back at the Diamondbacks and the Rockies and want to put some distance between themselves and the rest of their division competition, this is the kind of move that helps you do that. So I like it um as a as an american league fan not as a writer about baseball but as an american league fan i'm thrilled he is not going to the yankees <laughs> a lot of shortstops are uh, thrilled about him going away yeah like the shortstop just the just the insane talent like carlos correa getting left off like the all-star team is just um one of those things where yeah like that was in pl- like just having stuff like that in play is insane yeah, and I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things where that position is so deep. His insistence on playing shortstop is really interesting. I mean, our metrics have at Fangraphs have his defense being quite poor at the position, and I think we're not alone in that. Um, but we should remember there's a lot of sort of squishiness in half-season defensive samples. So I don't think he's quite as bad as... Um, as the metrics are making him out to be, but it puts the Dodgers in this really interesting position because part of the idea of, um, of trading for him has sort of been this, this notion that he is, um, you know, I hate to use the word rental, but that he's sort of a short-term acquisition, but that it might matter when he's making free agency decisions, what team he was traded to. And if he's had a good experience there, if he's able to go to the postseason for the first time in a while, if he's able to maybe win a world series ring, the, the Dodgers infield is pretty stacked, especially once Seager comes back from from Tommy John. So I'm going to be really interested to see what this ends up meaning for his free agency. I think Machado will test the waters. If I were his agent, I would tell him he should test the waters even after the free agent market we saw last offseason. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see sort of how a team like this, which doesn't have as pressing a need for him, puts a wrinkle in decisions that he makes later uh, down the road. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where I think the under this was something I was always I was always wondering about the Dodgers being involved here is that like it doesn't make sense for him to be on this team next year, really. I mean, unless Seeger misses a significant portion of twenty nineteen. I, I don't know where he fits, but then again, are we like really trying to find a way to keep Justin Turner in the picture if you have Manny Machado and Seeger? Like are you overthinking it at that point? If you're like, well, how's right. he get in with Turner here? But then again it's like does he want to do that if he wants to play a shortstop full time? And if that's the case, then he doesn't fit on this team when Seager returns. Right. And, you know, I think he'll be such a fascinating free agency case because I'm I'm always curious sort of what ends up mattering to guys like guys like Machado, you know, sort of in that profile where you know that they're going to whatever team signs him is going to back up a Brinks truck to make it happen. How does he prioritize the non-monetary aspects of that free agency decision? You know, you you mentioned Turner. 
Turner plays third. He plays a good third. This has been sort of a weird year for him with the injury early on, but he is only signed through 2021, and Manny Machado is really young. So if he is open to a return to third base, you know, maybe maybe him sticking around with the Dodgers organization makes more sense than I'm giving him credit for or giving it credit for. And so I'm really – I'm just looking forward to seeing sort of how – players who presumably will have a fair number of options in terms of where they go when they're finally able to make their own choices, then prioritize things away from the money when you assume that that'll probably end up being sort of the same regardless of where he ends up going. So it's going to be a really interesting um, decision. And I hope that he, you know, I'm always, I always want guys to talk more about their decision-making process because that kind of process is interesting to me. So I'll be curious to see if he gives us some insight once uh, a decision gets made this winter. And I love that Andrew Friedman has been painted this guy that he's not going to go swing for the fences for somebody like this. And then he does it like that was I feel like the last three months have been about like, I mean, the Dodgers sniff around everybody, but he's not going to give up any real pieces to go get somebody like a rental like Machado. And then, of course, the Dodgers just swoop in and do that. And I kind of like it because teams that come off like these painful World Series losses that the Dodgers just went through, it's like shaking things up a little bit where they've kind of had the a really rough year with Kershaw injuries, Seager going down. Like they could, they, this was a team that even though they are a half game up on the Diamondbacks in the NL West, like they could use a guy, like everybody could use a guy like Machado, obviously. But um, it's one of those things where I like these kind of shakeups where you see what's happening with the nationals now, where they've been competing for so many years. And we know that there's a lot of pressure on this year because this is the last year of Bryce Harper potentially. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I think that is what makes this so interesting is the Dodgers needed to do something to kind of set themselves apart from the Diamondbacks and the Rockies now who never die. (laughs) I just, I kind of like this. I, I like the idea of just being like, you know what? There's no guarantees we're getting back to the um, World Series this year. We, it, It's easy to say that we've forgotten about 2017. We've moved on. We're thinking ahead. This is now. But then again, a lot of those guys were there last year. And it's really hard to go back-to-back World Series, especially when you lost the first one. Not everybody can be the Kansas City Royals. And <laughs> I just I like it because it's just a different variable into the mix of like he didn't experience that that loss last year and he can just go in he's just gonna be happy to be there and he gets to play with some friends and he's just gonna be awesome and i think the dodgers i feel like now are just right there with the cubs again um as the most likely teams to get back to the world series well i think especially when you look at a team like the dodgers who made you know kind of a a big deal in the offseason of clearing uh clearing payroll so that they would get below the competitive balance tax threshold Looking at a situation like the one they're in, realizing that they haven't quite performed to the level that they were expecting after the sort of rough start to the year and saying, this is, you know, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure this is going to push them through that um, competitive balance tax threshold and deciding, you know what, as as a way to get back to the World Series, that's worth it to us. And I think that in an era where we've seen teams get incredibly conservative with payroll as they've sort of taken advantage of what has emerged as basically a soft salary cap for a team to say, and screw it. We want to go to the postseason and making that kind of a, a move, I think, is good for baseball because it moves us away from the sort of penny pinching that has, you know, sometimes been justified or at least expected in smaller markets. But for a team like the Dodgers, doesn't make any sense. So 
uh, or a team that's contending, right. like just spend money. going the penny pinching route when you're a contender, which it, Nick Stellini and I, I, we love ragging on this team for this. And this is another reason why I love Machado going to the Dodgers is um, the Diamondbacks didn't pay JD Martinez and uh, JD Martinez is very good at baseball and currently raking in Boston and Boston has won a lot of games this year and they elected to go the cheaper route and made a trade with the Rays and everything else, but it's starting to come together. But you know, what would have helped when they were going through that um, horrible offensive slump to start the year, uh, having somebody like JD Martinez. And uh, yeah, I love teams getting kind of, I wouldn't say karma, but like I have been actively rooting against the Dimebacks succeeding this year, just for the JD Martinez stuff. I, I will say that. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, obviously the, the sort of labor dynamics that go into that are really complicated. And I don't mean to say that like the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks have the exact same payroll capacity, but every team that exists in major league baseball could spend more money than they do if they wanted to. Now, mm-hmm. could they all spend as much as the Dodgers and the Yankees? No, probably not, but they could all spend more money than they do. And I think that one of the things that I appreciated about this last off season is that I think we're moving away from accepting as a uh, sort of unquestioned narrative, this idea that teams can't spend more teams choose not to spend more. And sometimes that choice makes a certain amount of sense given where they are in the competitive cycle and sort of where their team's going to be in the next couple of seasons. And, you know, maybe free agents that they want to sign in this big free agent class that's coming, but most teams can spend more and most teams can probably spend a lot more than they do. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge that these are active choices being made on the part of front offices and uh, and on the part of owners and uh, making sure that we're sort of aware of that as we go through these kinds of conversations so that we're not just assuming like, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to spend more cash. It's like, yeah, but it's really great to go to the postseason. So. And also, why do you own a team if you don't do this? I've never understood if you're going to be a professional sports team owner, like just go for it. Who cares? Like, why are you in this then? I don't understand. Own a different business in a different industry. I I don't, Yeah. I've never understood that. I think we'll look, I I wonder, I don't think, I wonder if we will look back on this era of uh, major league baseball and be really sad. Uh, I mean, he's a human being, so we should be sad about this no matter what, but be really sad that uh, Mike Elitch died. I wonder if his ownership yeah. was really important in a way that we're not fully appreciating to keeping uh, sort of the wheels turning on on Major League payrolls. So uh, yeah. I, there's something to be said for having a guy on a team and just really want a World Series. And sometimes that leads to some kind of questionable decision making, uh, at least from a sabermetric perspective. But if it means spending money when you can and when you should, I think it's a great thing. How excited are you about this clearing uh, the decks for Mike Mostaukas to uh, get moved? As I mean, that's what I've been waiting for is uh, the Manny Machado to drop so we could move next to the guy, the man of the hour, Mike Mustaka. Is he the man of the hour? Is that- man of the hour because we've been waiting for him to get into the fray because teams are not going to make the deal for Machado. But what they will do is call the call Dayton up and see what he wants in return for um, Mike Mustaka. His only, uh, basically, the gu- only guy to come back from that World Series team with Hosmer leaving and everybody else. But uh, I guess I'll see this bar but whatever um everybody else is gone and Mustakas is the one who stayed but uh now he can officially go to the braves where he's been destined to be the third baseman <laughs> Reynolds, that they've desired for the last five and a half years 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, although I will say that uh, the Braves are one of those teams where, yes, there will probably be um, some offensive upgrades made or at least an opportunity to do that. But um, as with many teams in baseball, I think that uh, the priority for them and for a number of other folks will probably be trying to find the one good pitcher out of what is proving to be a kind of yucky uh, starting pitching market. Uh, plenty of good opportunities and relief, but the starters look, uh, you know, it's like trying to get excited about Danny Duffy. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Why, I, who needs Danny Duffy when you have a Wade LeBlanc? Uh, Wade, our, our weird savior in Seattle. God bless Wade. Uh, he's so good. What is this? Why is Wade LeBlanc well, good at baseball now? He's, he's winning a lot of games. I don't know yes. if that's quite the same thing. Um, you know, he gets a lot of ground balls. There's been, he doesn't give up homers. Yeah, there's <laughs> been very little like discernible change. Um, he is weirdly giving up more fly balls and fewer home runs, which feels like the sort of thing that is destined to regress. Um, but at a time when the Mariners really have needed some innings, you know, you you might remember that Erasmo Ramirez went down pretty early in in the season and hasn't pitched in quite a while. Although I think they expect him back at some point. Um, you know. It's been really nice to have Wade LeBlanc, question mark. It's been, I love Wade. I think uh, it's delightful when uh, when guys like him succeed. You know, I, I yeah. certainly enjoy, you know, as a, a Mariners fan in particular, you know, you love someone like James Paxton who has a big fastball and just like very dominant secondary offerings. But in an era where we see a lot of the big fastball from a lot of different guys having someone who is truly like a crafty lefty is, uh, is pretty fun. So, uh, I hope that his, his success continues into the second half because the Mariners are facing, um, a suddenly, uh, quite tight, uh, wild card race. So, uh, yes. uh, they're going to need it. It's going to be important. Isn't that weird though, because you're a Mariners fan and like, I, I just feel like there's something really fun about the A's like coming out of nowhere and just like we were all talking about the Angels and the Mariners going at it for that last wild card spot. And then the A's were just like, no, we're going to jump in here and we're actually going to go for it. And like, they have a bunch of great young players right now. And, and, um, Matt Olson, who went to my high school, wow. and, uh, yeah, Matt Olson, he's, uh, he might be okay. So that's cool. Um, they're just fun. Like Jed Lowry's awesome. Like I just don't be mad, Meg, but I, I would rather see Oakland in the playoffs than um, yeah. Seattle. Well, I don't want, I, I don't want Seattle in the wild card game. I'm not interested in Seattle, uh, New York. I, I'm good. But, but why though? Cause we know how that story ends. I could see a situation where the A's just destroy uh, the Yankees postseason hopes in game one. I, I, for whatever reason could just talk myself into that being more compelling than the Mariners. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I think that um, you are underestimating how fun it is to watch James Paxton at the height of his power, and I oh, that's true. I would greatly enjoy uh, him laying waste to any number of lineups. Um, that it is that it is likely, at least at this particular moment, to uh, to be the Yankees is neither here nor there. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I, as a it, it's funny to sort of transition into this role where I'm, you know, I'm writing full time and editing full time because you do have a certain amount of. I'd like to think that I was um, a a critical and honest fan, uh, which wasn't hard because the Mariners were often terrible. Um, <laughs> but it is it is funny to be in this position where you know uh, if they hold on to this, it's like, am I? 
am I going to have to worry about objectivity in the postseason? Maybe I can ask Appleman. He just won't put me on a wild card coverage. I can just enjoy that one. Will. I can I can email Will Leach. And, <laughs> um, he does it with the Cardinals all the time, even though it's pretty dark times for him. Yeah, you know, but, Cardinals uh, fans are fine. I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's hard right now. You guys are going to be okay. You've had a good little run here. It's going to be okay. Everyone's going to be fine. Are you pitching stories uh, to The Athletic on doing a deep dive into the behind the scenes of the Oakland A's, hoping they unearth some awful nugget that derails oh, the A's I, as well? I like that A's team a lot. I think that okay. um, I think they're a lot of fun. They have, as you said, they have many good mats. All the good mats are on the A's. All the mats. Um, you know, I, I will admit that uh, early in the season when Jed Lowry was doing what he was doing, I just expected that he would sort of fall back to earth. And then he did a little bit for a minute. You know, I think after running like a gosh, what did we have him at? How quickly can I find this? You know, after a sort of early season, 171 WRC plus in, in March and April, his May was perfectly league average. And I thought, OK, here's here's Shed Lowry kind of coming back to earth as he's been wont to do in the past. But he's had a really good June and July. You know, he got his first all star appearance and he's got an interesting story. I mean, he was hurt a lot uh, for a lot of his career. And he also, I think, had some sleep problem. I don't know if it was sleep apnea or a deviated septum or what, but he just wasn't sleeping well. And then they figured out that it was uh, whatever problem it was and it was corrected. And and since then, he's been incredible. So uh, it's just really fun when guys are sort of in that position where they're not doing well and then something clicks, whether it's health or a change in approach. And then suddenly they're sort of playing up to the potential that they probably always thought they had. So uh, it's a fun ace team and they're, they're doing better than I thought they would. You know, they had some early season pitching losses that I thought were going to just the rotations insane. Yeah, just, they have Brett Anderson, yeah. Trevor Cahill, Edwin Jackson. What is that? I know it's, it's really nuts. I mean, I, I will say whichever of those two teams. And I think, you know, despite the A's uh, resurgence being something of a surprise, I think it probably will come down to, to them and the Mariners for that second wild card. Um, Either way, you're going to have teams that, you know, play a lot of close games and are surprisingly uh, good or at least winning considering some of the deficiencies that they have on their roster. So um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And then, um, you know, they'll probably go to New York and get their butts kicked and we'll all kind of continue on on our merry way. But Mm-hmm. In the meantime, uh, I think it's good to have a competitive wild card race. It's boring when postseason contenders are settled in July. And so as as much as it is uh, going to be personally stressful to me, I think it is good for baseball to to not have, you know, the Mariners solidly in that spot by 11 games. So is there a way we can get Manfred needs to focus less on Mike Trout and find a way if the Mariners qualify for the <laughs> postseason berth? that Robinson Cano is allowed to play against the Yankees. That should be the thing. He gets a, he gets he, exempt status he gets for that one. A game. special exemption. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just hope that um you know, it, it's sort of a funny thing cuz we're going into the, the trade deadline obviously we're getting started a little early with uh, Machado but um these are in a position a slightly better position to add than the Mariners are. You know, the Mariners made some early moves um a couple months ago but they don't really have much in the way of prospects or at least I think prospects they're willing to part with um, to address some of the needs that they have at starting pitching, potentially, you know, dealing with something at first base, although they could still call up Daniel Vogelback. And so people have asked, (laughs) 
And they should do that because Ryan Healy should not be an everyday player. But people have asked, well, what are the Mariners going to do? And I'm like, well, it's not quite the same thing, but they do get a Robinson Cano back in the middle of August. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of nice as pickups go. That's a pretty good one. Um, So I moves D Gordon back to center field. It it makes everything make a lot more sense. I, I imagine at least the team has talked about D sort of sticking at second because obviously oh. he will be uh, playing in the postseason when Robbie isn't uh, yeah. and, and potentially moving Cano, having him take some reps at second, but maybe playing first base. Um, it, D Gordon is, is great fun and he is super fast and he has been offensively atrocious since Cano <laughs> went out. And so it's one of those things where it's a sort of unpopular opinion because he is just a delightful person. And when that offensive profile clicks well, it's a lot of fun to watch. But he is like currently rocking a, an 80 WRC plus, And that is buoyed by some, some really good um, sort of first uh, month numbers. So... Uh, he, you know, he had like a 48 WRC plus in June. It's a very limited, not great, not great. You know, it's a very limited offensive profile. He needs to get on base and then steal. He doesn't hit for really any power at all. And, and the arguably like the most interesting and sort of the unique part of his game, truly unique because he's, I think at least from sprint speed, like the fastest guy in baseball, you have to get on base to steal bases. So you know, it's been it's been really frustrating because at a time when it would be nice to have more offensive production from the team, they're playing all of these close games. He just hasn't had it. Uh, and so, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to the idea of Cano taking more reps at second and then seeing what you can get at first base out of, say, Daniel Vogelback. But it's clear the team's not going to do that. And I think they think it's important that D play um, pretty much every day based on what his postseason, um, I guess, postseason role would be. But they don't have much in the way of a, a margin for error here. So I will be curious to see how long they sort of stick to that plan and how uh, open they are to being flexible with it. Can Segura play both positions? I mean, he's so fun. He would try. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that might be the solution. I think he just would just try. Do whatever. Uh, yeah. I don't know that Gene has quite the range he would need to cover short and second. Well, there's shifts now. We can just, yeah. they could play, they could go just uh, um, what, galaxy brain. Yeah, we'll put Kyle just... Seeger at shortstop. We'll put Gene Segura <laughs> at second. You put Robbie at first base. D Gordon just runs around like a whirling dervish and makes everyone happy. Um, I love this idea. I think we just solved baseball's image problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I would settle for us solving the Mariners postseason problem, candidly. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. That might be a bigger issue to tackle than <laughs> than the image problem is. <laughs> I want this to happen. It's good to um, be able to laugh about these things because otherwise you just feel sad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been the Mariners fans for like the last 17 years. Um who feels more like a starting pitcher for the Mariners in the second half of this year? Uh, Nathan Ivaldi or uh, Julio Tehran? Oh, God. The pitching is not good. The marketing yeah. is not good. I mean, I think... J.A. Happ is being treated as like the C.C. Sabathia of this trade deadline. And it's, uh, it's, it's just, wild. he's fine. He's fine. Yeah. I mean, he's never explained the, the J.A. thing. No one has ever gotten a satisfactory answer on that. So... Is there a thing there? I don't know the backstory on this. Is he it, goes his by his initials not actually J A? No, he, they're J A, but he goes by J. Oh, that's true. I never. 
I never really thought about that. It's one of those things that is truly not important at all. And I think about it at least once a week. So, huh. but yes, he's, he's sort of the, the premier option on the, on the market right now. Um, I, you know, candidly, I would be really surprised if they made anything like a big move for starting pitching. I just don't think that with the limited sort of options that are on the market and and other teams that have greater prospect depth who do need stuff uh, that that they're going to be able to play much in that space. But, you know, it's Jerry, so I'm sure he'll try. Um, He's calling the Orioles. He knows they're open for business. Yeah, I mean, I, Dylan Bundy in Seattle. Oh, Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Yeah. How much are you regretting coming on this podcast? I mean, just no. throwing bad things towards the marriage. Oh, it's fine. I mean, no. like you said, uh, it's been 17 years, so this is hardly the the most. It's annoying. not my fault. Your farm system is just not great. Uh, there's oh, not so many now they're now it's my farm system. Um, it's your farm system. You're directly <laughs> responsible for what's happened to Seattle's farm. System. I mean, me, I'm me being responsible would actually explain a lot because uh, I I am good at some things, and player development is not on that resume. So. I, well, I think we already solved their player development issues by just removing second base altogether and just playing a permanent shift. So um, I don't know. I'll have to push back on that. I don't think that's the case. I think you actually need more power in the player development uh, sphere in Seattle. No, I will. I will defer to. Uh, I will defer to my colleagues who are are much more experienced to know a great deal more. I mean, for one thing, they actually go and watch minor leaguers, so they have that leg up on me, if nothing else. But that's a, like a personal problem that we can't even dive into. Like, <laughs> see, spending part of your day watching minor league baseball, I, I can't do it. Um, especially not in person. In person, it's a lot of fun. Minor league baseball games are fun to go to, but uh, the the thought of me just being on my laptop watching a random minor league game, I, I just I don't think that will ever that'll ever happen. It takes I can't do it, it takes a person with um, a particular special sort of imagination, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I admire that very much in our prospect team at Fangraphs. Yeah. I really do a great job, and I'm very happy to be able to uh, text them and ask them stupid questions, and then uh, d- you know direct others to pester them in their chats rather than asking me, so that they can actually get advice that means something. <laughs> And I listened to the audio podcast where they, I, I forgot what day it was, where they had just a full hour on just different guys that they've watched that are like not going to come into the league for like four years. And we won't even know about a lot of these guys and we'll never see the light of day and everything else. And I was just like, I just like, what is happening right now? This is a world that I'm just so unfamiliar with that um, it's fascinating, but it's just, um, I would not be able to ever do it personally. Um, can we talk about the Nats real quick? Sure. So the Nationals, I feel like, are the next team up of, like, the NL teams where they're kind of in trouble a little bit, where they're jockeying for position, where it's not like the AL, where the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Indians, everybody's, like, safe, and they know where they stand, and they'll be fine. They're not going to make, like, a gigantic trade as much as uh, the Yankees like to pretend that they're going to swing for the fences at the deadline. And then you look at somebody like the Nationals, who know this is a big year, but it's also not great that um, Tim Kirchin is, like, having to think about whether or not they should trade Bryce Harper before the before august yeah and that's concerning is that we're already having these conversations where it's like do you just get ahead of this and just say we screwed up this season but then again i don't think the braves are for real i really do think we're gearing up for them to come back down to earth a little bit more and i think they just don't have the pitching their bullpen's not good i i just feel like we're gearing up for a bad second half for the Braves. maybe not bad but just average <laughs> And then the Phillies, I mean, they're still they're young, and they may not they may not stay the course. We'll see. Like I love Herrera, and I love 
uh, just like Aaron Nola is just an insane pitcher this year. Yeah. But I I guess I have more faith in them staying atop of the NL East down the stretch. But I just feel like you can't trade Harper and you kind of just have to like the JT World Muto stuff is fine, but I don't think that's going to move the needle enough, even though they've gotten like historically bad um, production out of the catcher position this year. That still just doesn't feel like enough. And I don't know what it is because you look at their starters. Everything's good. Strasburg's coming back and everything. Like, get a couple of bullpen arms, but Romoto, like, I don't know if that's enough to push them over. But, like, now that we're – they're just in a really weird spot. And I don't envy the situation that Rizzo has found himself in in Washington. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I, I tend to – so the Braves was sort of – I would agree with you that they have outperformed certainly what I expected them to do. The, the position players there are super fun, and they have a lot of guys who are awesome. But the pitching – has been much better than I thought, but still is not maybe as good as it will need to be. I mean, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nationals. I know that they've been rumored to be in play on Evaldi. Um, you know, certainly Strasburg's coming back, and that's great. But they sort of have this like terrible thing they have to deal with the Tanner Rourke, who's been bad, and like Jeremy Hellickson is. Jeremy Hugson. So, you know, I think that they have opportunities to upgrade on the starting pitching side and probably have more of an impact, but I don't think we should downplay just how bad the catching has been there. I mean, I understand that they are sort of loath to give up, you know, a prospect like Victor Robles or even um, Carter Kaiboom. I, I know that they've been sort of publicly saying that those guys are on a do not trade list, but uh, Real Moto is real good and he would help a lot. So I, I don't know. I'll be really curious to see what they end up doing there. I think the asking price on Real Moto will be really high. And so I, I, I get the sort of weird predicament they find themselves in because this team should be better than it is. Um, and you know, for all of, uh, the hand wringing around Harper and whether he's diminished his value going into free agency, I mean, sure that the average isn't great, but like he's, I think he still has like a 120 WRC plus like the home runs are making him an above average hitter. Um, And so I just, I wonder if they will make, like you said, some smaller moves, maybe try to bring in some reinforcements in the bullpen um, and maybe make us take a swing at a starter. If the price isn't too high and then just hope that things go better than they have been, especially once Strasburg comes back, which is a bigger pickup than anything that they could get in the starting pitching market right now. Um, But, and Fangrass has, uh, the, as of right now, the Nationals a forty five percent chance of winning the division, which is yeah thirteen percent higher than the Phillies. I mean, I just we still they're five hundred. Yeah, we still have a fair amount of faith in them. Um, you know, in part because I think that uh, our projections are a, a little more bearish on you know certainly on the Braves um, and on the Phillies as well. So, you know, I still expect them to be a playoff team. Um, but I think that they're going to need to to do something about it pretty quickly here because um, that wild card race is super tight in the NL. And I, if I were them, I wouldn't want to sort of risk it being one of those teams that has to fight it out. Um, and I don't think that there's going to be a wild card team out of the NL East. I think it's going to be like the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I don't think one of yeah. the Cubs and Brewers. Yeah. That would, I mean, that's kind of what I'm expecting. I could see maybe one of the Braves or the Phillies sneaking into that conversation if the Brewers aren't able to right the ship here soon. You know, they sort of like the Mariners went into the break with a long skid of losses. Um, but 
I expect them to trade for somebody, though. Yeah. It feels like the Brewers are just, they're not going to sit tight. They no. just made too many win-now moves now where they're they are all in it, just competing, contending. You know? Yeah, although I still find it strange that they didn't make more of a move for starting pitching, which, you know, in hindsight is looking smart because a lot of those guys aren't performing particularly well who are available in the offseason. But they, yeah. they weren't quite as in as I think people were saying they were, but I think they're really in now. Um, and, yeah. you know, they... They like the net. I mean, the Nets are, we have them three games under um, what we would expect based on base runs and the Brewers are like a game over. So they're kind of, the Brewers are kind of right around where you would expect them to be. The Nets have performed a little worse than we would expect. Um, and then you look at a team like the Braves and they're actually, you know, under what we would expect for their base runs uh, record also. So there are some good genuinely good teams there and they're going to have to sort themselves out over these next couple of months. But I think I still expect the nationals to be the ones who pull away, assuming that they are able to maintain some semblance of starting pitching health. If that, if that picture shifts dramatically, I mean, this is like an obvious point to make, of course, if their starters go down, they're going to be less good, but um, you know, their margins are thin enough that I think health is going to be really important to them in a way that, you know, it, it might be slightly less to other teams because they don't have a margin to absorb like long DL stints if something happens to Strasbourg again or, you know, Scherzer were to go down, God forbid. So um, they need to be healthy and they need to play some good baseball. But I think that they are the best team in that division. So, you know, barring something weird, I would expect them to emerge on the other side of this. And then we'll all look back and be like, remember when we were so worried about Bryce Harper hitting 214? That was dumb. I wasn't because I've been a Bryce lifer. I will also because you know that average Bryce doesn't really matter that much, but <laughs> you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they're getting an historically great 19 year old season from Juan Soto. Like, amazing. He's playing out of, like, I highly encourage everybody to read Grant Brisby's piece on Soto when he first arrived through that first month and a half. And, like, Anthony Rendon's awesome. Like, you have so many guys in this roster where it just, you look at it, and I think that's why they're fr so frustrating to me is that it's such a well put together roster that if, like, they had an average catcher this. And like one more good starter, we don't talk about him in this way, and we're not this frustrated. But the fact that like there's just 500 just seems insane to me when yeah. you just look at the amount of talent that they're getting. And just it was like a, it should have been like one of those things where um, we look at like the Yankees, you know, where just everybody hits like even though they already spent a bunch and they develop talent really well, but then they get a Glyber Taurus in the mix, and you're like, okay, is everybody going to hit for the Yankees? And the same thing is true with the Nationals a little bit, where it's like. Juan Soto is 19 years old and he has a WRC plus of 151. Like what is happening? How does this happen for them? How do they get this lucky? But then they still have the injuries with Zimmerman going down and Strasburg has the shoulder thing. And just, I, I just, I'm frustrated with the Nets. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I, I think frustrated is the right reaction. I'm sure they're incredibly frustrated. I mean, this team should be winning more than it is. And so I, I think that that reaction isn't unwarranted. You know, I think we all went into this year hoping that Bryce was in his, what we expect to be his final year with the team was going to lead them gloriously into the postseason and pass the first round for the first time. Um, and, you know, it's been much rockier, but, you know, this stuff can change really, really quickly. And I think we sometimes forget that, you know, it, 
changes a little less quickly the deeper into the season that we get. But it wasn't too long ago that people were sort of looking at the Dodgers and being like, I don't know, maybe they'll miss the postseason entirely. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. They're bad. And it's like, well, no, they were hurt and like they were unlucky. And sometimes they were a little bad. But like it's, you know, and now they're sitting there with a Manny Machado and a half game lead and they will probably just proceed to be the Dodgers and we'll all look back and think it was silly that we were so nervous. So, um, you know, I, I get being frustrated uh, uh, with baseball generally, um, and with the nationals in particular, but I think this stuff can shift pretty quickly. And if, you know, they come out of the gate hot in the second half, we're going to look back and be like, Oh, it's fine. Actually, it's Last fine. And then we'll come. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that's a good way of looking at most things. Actually, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, unless you're the Marlins, it's not. Right. Um, what are you excited about in the second half? Like, what are some things that you're looking forward to post all-star break? I mean, I am excited to, to have a more competitive wildcard race in the American league. I, uh, I think that it's really boring when we feel like we know what's gonna, what's gonna happen, um, well in advance. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the the Mariners and the A's do. They have a fair amount of play just between them um, in in the second half uh, left to go here. So um, those A's and Mariners series are going to be really important and sort of exciting. The Tigers. Sure. <laughs> I, gosh, I wish the Mariners got to keep playing the Tigers, but I think they're done for the year. So, um, you know, I'm excited to have that be more of a race uh, than it's been. I'll be curious to see um, how that NL Central division shakes out. Uh, and then, like, personally, I'm looking forward to how small of a, a margin to 500 uh, Cleveland could go uh, and then make the postseason and the Mariners miss it. That's just uh, me not liking myself particularly. But it, <laughs> I was going to say, that's not a positive. But it is a thing that I... It's not going to increase your enjoyment. It is okay. a thing I'm going to have one eye on pretty much the rest mm. of the season because uh, that central division is just historically bad probably it it mm. might be a historically bad uh division um and there was a hardball team a hardball times piece on this uh i feel like a month or two ago yeah. that just went into explicit detail of just how disgusting this division yeah is it's pretty it's pretty bad and then you know i think ben Lindbergh followed it up on the ringer with um a deeper dive on some of the sort of underlying stats and and they don't paint a rosier picture uh, than just the the win loss record so um it's it's really quite terrible um and you know i think i'm going to be really interested to see what cleveland does at the deadline i imagine that they will just try to to snatch up every free reliever that they can um because that bullpen has been so um so shaky although i guess uh, andrew miller's rehab assignments are going pretty well so they should get him back soon but um you know, that team, I want that team to be better so that we can feel uh, like we should be talking about Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor more because they are having just the most incredible one-two punch of a year. And we're not talking about it that much because Cleveland's pretty boring. So uh, I, I hope that they improve so that we can get excited about Frankie and Jose because goodness are they having fun years um and Michael Brantley staying healthy yeah cool. what a delightful thing Brant Brantley's yeah. a, a, a Washington guy so we're we're big fans of him around here uh there you go so yeah that's that's kind of what I have an eye on I mean it's nice that we have you know after a beginning of the season that made it look like it was going to be pretty boring that we actually are going to have something like a competitive uh, race for at least one wild card in the AL and potentially both in the NL so I'm glad that it's going to be a little uh, more exciting than we when you, we maybe thought it was going to be 
I'm excited about the NL East. Yeah. I just feel like it's going to be really weird down the stretch because you have the Marlins who can still move a couple guys and they're going to stay terrible. But Realmuto, does he get moved to the Nationals? Do they help out a division foe? You have DeGrom agent stuff that continues to get weirder. Mm-hmm. Like, do the Mets like just make like, do we get a Brewers DeGrom deal like out of nowhere where it's like, oh, my God, what just happened? Um, yeah, they I think the Mets have potential to do some really weird stuff. Do they send Cespedes out just because it seems like there's a little bit of um, animosity between the two for him missing so much time? Because guess what? They were really good still when he played. And then when he's been gone for months at a time that they are not that good anymore. Um, I wonder if they move him, like what would he do for a contender? Like what if you just sent Cespedes somewhere? Um, We'll see. But then you have the Braves who are coming back down to earth a little bit. And do they like go all in or does Alex Anthopoulos continue to wait to make a big splash because he really hasn't made a big move yet. And then you have the Phillies who are ahead of schedule and uh, do they stand pat and just be staying the happy to be there mode, kind of like the Brewers of last year and see what happens. And I, I, I do think what we're gearing up for is Machado leaving the Dodgers in the off season for nothing and signing with the Phillies and the Phillies just knowing all along that they could get Machado outright this winter and uh did not have to give up any of their pieces in their farm system to get somebody like machado that's what that's my prediction i mean they just have too much intel and there's too many ex baltimore guys in the philadelphia front office that i just wonder if they just know (laughs) that they can just get machado outright without having to trade for him kind of like with the lakers and Kawhi and paul george and all those guys like i wonder if there is something there and then the nationals like do they go full panic mode and do everything they can to acquire everybody so that they have a real shot of getting out of the NL. So I don't know. I think the NL East is just, there's hot storylines with every team and I'm excited for all of them. Yeah. I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I'm curious what the Mets do. Cause I also wouldn't be surprised if they kind of stand pat just given, um, you know, the state that their front office is in um, yeah. with some, you know, unexpected uh, absences. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, I feel like they'll go one of two ways. They'll either go crazy or they'll do very little. Um, maybe nothing at all. I'm rooting for crazy. Let's I mean, yeah. On. I mean, we're. I think we're all uh, team chaos when it comes to the deadline. And I say that as someone who presumably will sleep less if team chaos gets its way. So you know that it's sincere. Yeah. And Zach Wheeler, future Seattle Mariner. Starting <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Maybe Matt Harvey this offseason, he can go to Seattle. Keep no, I don't. I don't know if I need that. I don't know <laughs> if I need that in my life. I'm glad that he's I'm glad that he's doing better. Uh, I say that not uh, from a personality perspective, but mostly just because and this might be um, bias on my part that isn't fair. But, you know, it it's such a hard surgery to come back from. And even though he's pitched better, I, I I just have so little confidence in guys being able to sustain anything. You know, the fact that he's pitching the way that he is now is frankly kind of amazing and is an accomplishment in his own right that I doubt he feels good about knowing what he has been in the past, but that he should probably feel a lot better about than he does because, you know, sometimes those guys like can't lift their arms when they have to go in for that stuff. So good for him, but he doesn't need to come west of the Rockies for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Meg, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Meg Growler. Um, you're the managing editor of the Hardball Times, the great uh, baseball site that I frequent every single day. Oh, thank you. Uh, and also check out Fangraphs.com. It's all great stuff, Meg. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. That sounds good. Thanks for having me.
right, on the line right now, Jason Pat. And Jason, how excited are you? Jabari Parker has come home. He's in Chicago. Everybody's talking about uh, Kawhi Leonard today, the Raptors, DeMar DeRozan, Betrayal. But you know what we're talking about? Jabari Parker and his quotes that I just, I hope they never stop. I hope Jabari Parker keeps talking. Yeah, well, yeah, so Jabari's coming home. Uh, a lot of Bulls fans are excited. I wouldn't say I'm super excited about it, but I mean, I, I, I guess I could have, should have probably seen this coming. One, I, almost like a predictable move. Not that it's necessarily bad, but when the Bulls had a ton of cap space this year and a lot of people thought they were just going to use it to take on bad contracts, but then when it kind of seemed like Jabari wasn't going back to the, wasn't going back to the Bucks, it's like, all right, this, this, I guess makes sense for what the Bulls like to do. I never thought it made much sense, just fit-wise. The Bulls are going to try to play him as a small forward. He's been a power forward most of his career. When he has played small forward, it has not gone well. There's the injury problems, all that fun stuff. Him and Zach Levine on the wing, recipe for disaster for defense. Uh, he still is really talented, 23 years old. Good off Before his second ACL tear, he put up 20 points per game. The contract is only two years, $40 million, with a team option on that second year. So there is some – that does mitigate mitigate the risk somewhat. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting move. Like I said, a very bullsy, almost predictable move just to bring home the hometown kid and get give something fans are excited about. At the press conference this morning, he talked about how much he, it was a dream come true, coming home to the Bulls. He gave, he shouted out Derrick Rose. It seems like a lot of fan service type stuff. I don't think it's a bad deal in any means because it's the short-term contract, but I am really curious to see how the fit works with him and the rest of this young core. I've got some great news for you. It's not going to go well. <laughs> well, this is like, okay, so two things here. And I think you have to talk, when you talk about Jabari, you have to talk about, uh, you have to talk about Zach Levine as well. Yeah. Because this offseason, it's going to be remembered for yep. them matching. Uh, Zach Levine's offer sheet and signing Jabari Parker after the Bucks renounced him and elected to go with Ursan Ilyasova rather than Jabari they, they hard capped themselves at in the process. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when the Bucks uh say it's cool and just rescind their <laughs> qualifying offer on a, a player, maybe that's a bad sign. Like if they re like giving up on a number two overall pick hurts especially this early on, like it, it's never a good indicator. Yeah. Like, I don't know of many positive developments after a young guy, Jovan and I were talking about this on Monday where it's like, if you go down the list, Jabari falls more in the, more in line with like the number two picks of old, like Derek Williams, Michael Beasley, guys like that where um, they were tantalizing coming into the NBA. And it just became clear very early on, like, Oh, this is not going to work. And I think that's true with Jabari where it's like, if he's like, just seeing some of the defensive stuff is just so bad. He shot like 38% from three last year, which is fine. But you hear the quotes of like, Oh, we can play the three. Oh, this is not going to go out. Like if Vlade Divac had said something like that, um, even though he really has uh, said that about Marvin Bagley. Exactly. (laughs) It's the same thing, but for whatever reason, we're giving the bulls a bigger benefit of the doubt here. Um, it's it's not great. And then if Zach Levine, I mean, if the Kings are going after Zach Levine and no one else is biting at four year seventy eight, um, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should just walk away. And there's the idea that like, well, he was this big piece in the Minnesota Timberwolves deal for Jimmy Butler, and it would be a bad look for the franchise to just let him walk. Guess what? Bulls fans, I think, are pretty smart 
sports fans in general have gotten a lot smarter and they all know that, oh, the Kings want him for 478. Maybe we shouldn't keep this guy or what we saw this past year. Kind of alarming. Uh, I don't know. Like we know he can shoot, but even that is not enough for four years of Zach Levine at 78 million, especially if you're going to sign Jabari Parker to play next to him on the wing, which we know how that's going. And then you just put even more pressure on Wendell Carter, who had an amazing summer league and just had everybody, every NBA fan all over the world. Like, Oh, this is awesome. They have the finisher and Wendell Carter manning their front court for the next decade. What a great start. The Bulls are finally starting to operate like a smart franchise. The Knicks have Porzingis and Kevin Knox. The Bulls are doing smart stuff. The NBA is in a good place because the big market teams are starting to figure it out and start just making smart, shrewd moves. And then the Bulls can't help themselves and go down the Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade uh, offseason cycle of just bringing in Jabari Parker, hometown kid. Like You didn't need to do that because you already won the like the summer for a lot of Bulls fans, right? Because they drafted Wendell Carter and he looks like he might be the best big out of this draft already. Like I, it's a huge overreaction to say that based on the summer league stuff, but like we do know it, at least it certainly feels like he is at the very least going to be a really good NBA five. Like he can defend, he can shoot, he can, he's just going to be a really good helpful player. And he seems like a really good fit next to Markinen, who you also hit on. And there was tons of jokes for the past year about Markinen and like whether or not he was going to be a good player in this league and everything else. Guess what? Markinen's really good and he's going to get, he's going to get better. Um, all that said, you didn't have to do this. You, if you had let Zach Levine walk and you just didn't sign Jabari Parker, you let David Nawaba walk, who I like a lot. Like, it's just, whenever you take two steps forward, why are you taking two steps back with some of these deals? Because now you're paying, I think it's like 65% of their cap now. The last I checked of like Robin Lopez, um, Omar Ashik, Jabari Parker, and Zach Levine. It's not great. It's just not, what are you doing? Just, what are you doing? Yeah, like I said, you mentioned like the fit. Just like it is, it is very strange, and I haven't even I haven't even mentioned Levine yet. Like I, I, I see where they're coming from on both things. I also have I've had my share of criticism for, but the Levine thing, like, well, they were they were always just put going to be in such a weird position with him getting him in that trade coming off the ACL. Like he was going to be bad when he returned and he was very bad when he came back last year. They're like, there's no doubt about it. He should be better than that, but he was awful. And like, and, but to like have him going into this restricted free agency, I was really hoping just nobody would give him that big offer sheet. And of course the freaking Kings screwed it up. And probably the Kings were possibly going after Jabari as well, which I guess like you mentioned, maybe that's also another bad sign that basically all the guys, the bulls wanted, Resigning or signing the Kings, the Kings were, were going. Kings were going yeah. at them as well. I mean, I'm waiting for the Kings to throw a big sheet or a big contract at David David Waba at this point. Just after the after the Bulls Bulls took two of their guys from them, that they're going to just take Waba from the Bulls. But yeah, I mean, I know I'm I'm trying to be more optimistic about it. That there there is talent. There is some intrigue here with the the young core that they do have. I, there are some people Bulls fans going that I you mentioned the Bulls fans are smart. I'm. I don't know. I feel like in general, fans fans as an entire entity are kind of dumb. But because like I, I don't know. I feel like basketball fans, especially, are getting smarter and smarter. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe I, it's just the feel. Maybe I, it's because I'm on Twitter. It's the echo chamber where I just read a lot of NBA writers and stuff. Yeah. Maybe that's all it is. Well, I, saw, I don't know. Like the after the Jabari deal came down, I, there was a, a ESPN 1000 radio station did a poll, and when I saw it, looked at it, there was about it was like 1,500, 1,600 votes in it. So that's a decent sample size, and like. 
I believe it was over 50% believe that after this Parker signing, the Bulls are making the playoffs, which like, oh, I mean, they were talking about that on Count the Dings this week. Yeah. Like, of, like, like a, shout out to Black Trey and Mariano, who I like a lot, but they both believe that they're going to be an eight seed. Yeah, I'm I like, think, I know. I think this team, there gonna, seems they to be might a, be the worst team in the East. There seems to be a big push towards with this signing and with the young core in place that like, they're like, definitely going to be the, make the playoffs. And I just like, they got to hold your horse. I, I have some optimism. Like you mentioned Wendell Carter, you mentioned Larry Markin. Chris Dunn's not bad. Levine has talent. Uh, are we he's sure better, Chris like, Dunn is not bad? I think he's average. I wouldn't say he's bad. He's Is he average, and, though, among uh, NBA point and, guards? Because I would take at least 15 NBA point guards ahead of him. I would say that with his for defensive purposes alone, that he could at least be average. I mean, he's a definitely a bad, right now, bad to below average, whatever, bad, below average, whatever you want to call it, offensive players. True Wait, I have a question was, to post to you. This yes. will sum it all up. This yeah. will clarify everything. Is Derrick Rose in 2018 better than every current point guard on the Chicago Bulls roster? Ooh, probably. I think the answer is yes. Not, and I think I Derrick Rose is really bad now. <laughs> I guess I would take. I would probably take Dunn over him just just because of that defense. Rose is so bad defensively. I guess if Rose becomes like a knockdown three point shooter like he was in the playoffs for five games for the Timberwolves. Here's a problem. The fact like that we're 70%. debating this is not good. Yeah, that is not. This should not be a question. That is not good. I yeah. I in terms of Chris Dunn, I am da- more down on him than some other people are. He had that nice stretch of games last year when like Nico came back and the Bulls went on their goofy run. But I think that's. I mentioned. I bring up Nico. That's another point in this whole thing. Like a lot of people think, oh, the Bulls are gonna. It went from 27 games to, like to make the playoffs. They'll have to what add. 12 to 15 wins at least a lot of people talk about how bad the east is i think the playoff a playoff team will still have to win go like 500 so that's like adding again like 15 wins but nico was such a big part of the bulls winning games last year like they're gonna have to replace they have to play have somebody playing a that consistent production like maybe marketing takes a huge jump like that and he and he shoots averages 20 a game with like a 60 plus two shooting percentage maybe he does that and maybe these guys take a step forward but while I am optimistic about some of some of this talent, maybe it comes together in the next few years. Like people have to hold their horses about this team next year because they're going to be awful defensively, most likely. And Parker, like just Parker alone, like has never proven to be a difference maker. He wasn't for the Bucks. That's why the Bucks didn't really care, care to bring him back. If you look at his numbers, Can he you had, read his quotes today. We were talking about that before we started yeah, recording. This so, will okay. eliminate all of this. So talking about just, I mean, we talk about defense. Parker's a talented offensive guy, but we're talking about defense. He's never been a defensive player. So that he, he was on 670 to score radio show after his intro press conference. And they asked him about defense. Like, will you be able to defend? Like questions about his defense. And he said, I don't know. I just stick to my strengths. Look, look at everybody in the league. They don't play pay players to play defense. I'm not going to say that I won't, but to say that's a weakness is like saying that's everybody's weakness. I've scored thirties and twenties off of guys who say they try to play defense. Follow up. They, they asked him about it again because I don't think they were very happy with that answer. They asked him about like switching positionless basketball, the way the league's trending these days. He then said, certain guys have a scoring average, and no matter what you do, they still get that average. They pay people to score the ball, and I would hope that somebody scores the ball on me if they paid them that much. So part of him, his there's part of his comments are almost right. He just got paid twenty million because he he, despite two ACL tears, because he put up 20 points per game before. So yeah, the tears. Bulls validated Guys, yeah, that. Zach Levine, yeah. Ju- Zach Levine just is getting 20 million a year to score. We see around the league where guys get bucket or guys guys get paid because they get buckets. So to a point, he is correct. Of course, at 23 years old, when you're talking about playing to your strengths and well, you know, guys are just going to score like what like and almost just like scoffing at making any defensive improvement. That's maybe not the best outlook you want to have. Like, 
as a, young a lot of this player. is effort. A lot of defense yeah. is effort in the fact that he's already saying, well, it's over. I mean, maybe he's just like, well, I've had two surgeries on my left knee and my knees are gone. I'm slow footed. Like really the only way I'm going to stay in this league is that I uh, can shoot threes and now he can do that. So maybe that's his perspective now. It's really sad and um, not <laughs> ominous that uh, he's taking this perspective, but I understand <sighs> if that if that is his rationale of like, well, I'm going to keep getting paid at least yeah, for I mean, the short term because I'm, I can shoot the basketball and I'm big. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's definitely some like reason to it, but then when you, when you look at it in terms of the Bulls roster and them actually being a competitive team in the next few years, if he's going to be a part of the future that you'd really don't want to hear that. And with Zach Levine, again, being his partner on the wing, like that is just a recipe for disaster Imagine if Devin Booker said that after the Suns gave him the Mac. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> They're paying me to score 70 points every now and then and uh, be the best player on a really bad team for the next five Also years. making it funnier is earlier in the press conference that Fred Hoiberg was talking, and he talked about, I was like, we're excited about Jabari. We're excited about the fit. We're excited about, like, we think he can guard multiple positions and blah, blah. It's oh, like, well, God. and then Jabari went out and just basically, like, it's like, oh, defense switching blah, I, whatever like, i don't really do that I, I just get out go out here and get buckets so yeah like that is not ideal and but what is I, ideal is I, if I, they <sighs> used him as like the third big if that was the plan if they made that clear of like he's right. not starting he's not gonna play the three ever we're gonna play him like maybe some super offense heavy you, you mentioned uh, the third rotation. big you yeah. mentioned the third big though the bulls already somebody pointed this out before they signed parker the bulls already have almost like i wouldn't say he's a Jabari Parker clone, but Bobby Portis, they, yeah. like somebody posted like ba- side by side their bas- basketball reference, their like numbers through the start of their career. He was bad. They're ve- they're very similar. They're very similar numbers. They're like six six eight, six nine, six ten, whatever. Basically, stretch four types who shoot a lot. They can score really solid scores, but they're mostly terrible defensively, and and that's basically it. So like, so that's another like so like there's really paying him as like a third big would have been weird when you have Bobby Portis there as basically your third big and you already have Lowry and Wendell Carter. So they're, they're jamming him into this three spot and there's really not, no room to play him as like a four. I mean, they'll probably play him as a backup four sometimes, but when they have all these other guys already in the front court, I mean, maybe they trade Bobby Portis. He's up for an extension. I don't know if they'll give it to him. I would think that they'd only give it to him if it's super team friendly, team friendly. So if they're going to insist on playing him at the three and you have your other wings are basically Zach Levine, Denzel Valentine, Chandler Hutchinson, like it's just it's, it seems gonna it's gonna be real ugly defensively. And Wendell Carter's gonna have a lot is gonna have to clean up a lot. Chris Dunn's gonna have to clean up a lot at the point of attack. And uh I think we're gonna see a lot of high scoring Bulls games <laughs> next year. Yeah. I just I would have been way more cautious with how I stack this backcourt, especially like there's just, I, I think they have Carter and Markin set like that yeah, makes for sense sure. for the future, but don't lock anybody else up right now. Be open, go kind of what the other teams of uh, bad teams are doing right now, where it's just like, we're going to keep drafting and I understand the lottery is changing next year. So um, being, it's still very beneficial to be very bad in the NBA, but it's just not quite as beneficial. But at the same time, like, Chicago, it just feels like when you read the comments from Jerry Reinsdorf about like how surprised he was about how bad they were last year, you're like, oh no, like that's <laughs> yeah. part of what this is, is where he's like, no, this can't happen again. We got to get back to the playoffs, I, which means it's yeah. bad news for Hoiberg, I think more than anything, because I, it, we, we joked about the playoff stuff, but like, I, I just get the sense that this is a 
front office and ownership group that um, expects them to get to the playoffs this year. And uh, I think they're in for a rude awakening. Yeah, that Peck, might not be good for Hoyer. Paxton even said, I believe at his like end of or whenever it was, it was either the end of season presser or I can't remember when it was, but he talked about how like he had no intentions on going through the tanking thing again, which oh I guess I guess is somewhat understandable. Like they have like it's not they have no superstars on this roster. I, I, the whole point of this, uh, the whole point of tanking is finding a Joel Embiid, a Ben Simmons, a Jalen, like a Jalen Brown, a Jason Tatum, whoever. But the whole point is you've got to at least find one. Like I understand like not being there for like five years, like because you see what happens with the Hornets yeah. and the Magic, where even if you are bad you can be super unlucky and it not work out and then just be riddled with bad contracts and just fringe average starters and just be in mediocrity hell, which I understand like that can happen because not everybody can find a superstar because there's only like 10 to 15 of them in this. Yeah. So um, not everybody gets one, unfortunately, but at the same time, the bulls are in a gigantic market. People were still going to Bulls games last year. Their attendance didn't like fall off a cliff. It's not like the Hawks where it's like I can understand why there's a little bit of anxiousness about going through a five-year rebuild because it was already a bad team market. And now, and I, the Hawks fans are going to say something, but I'm we know it's a good NBA town. Atlanta is a good NBA town, but Hawks specifically, it's not. So if they're not coming for the next couple of years and they're hoping Trey Young, I guess, uh, lights it up. And Jeremy Lin, who is now yeah. a potential future teammate of yeah, Kyle no, Anthony's w- again for a day, which I'm very excited about. But um, unfortunately, that will probably end very quickly um, in Rasheed Wallace-like fashion. But um, yeah, I just, I don't think it. there's any, I don't understand the sense of urgency in Chicago because people are going to go. It's a great basketball town. They already have the brand, like, people like you're not going to attract free agents we know chicago struggles with that just just be patient i i I just want to like shake jerry reinsdorf be patient it's fine you have two building blocks in carter and marketing get one or two more get rj barrett next summer then maybe try and reverse course don't lock down jabari parker and don't like invest heavily in chris dunn and zach levine like none of that makes sense it's all very bad and you're gonna have to restart this process three years from now just be patient for like one or two more years you nailed these last two drafts what you haven't nailed is free agency and trades like you've whiffed on zach levine you've whiffed on chris dunn you've whiffed on jabari parker you've whiffed on all these guys but what you haven't whiffed the one thing that garpax has done really well in the last two years is draft and now you're like trying to get out of the draft i don't understand it because wendell carter is going to be an awesome player laurie marketing was a great pick you have all this like all this optimism with your two lottery picks back to back it's already hard enough to do that, and now you're going to move away from it. And I just, um, I don't like it, and I'm mad, and I want Chicago to be good because basketball is better when Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles are good uh, basketball teams. And uh, no, this is bad, and they should feel bad, and I want them to reverse course. Is there any way we can rescind these offers and they cannot be <laughs> uh, Unfortunately not, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you read Mark, Mark Deeks's piece about it. On, I think it's like... I have not. Okay, so he wrote like a long, basically... He didn't want to call it like a defense of it. It was just kind of like a justification, like the logic behind it. And he kind of addressed kind of the, some of the stuff you're talking about. And he said, and in terms of like the tanking and like tanking the other year, he said that it didn't that the Bulls are like in a spot where their their young talent and some of the other guys that they have, whatever, if they keep the veterans, like they're like a just too a little too good to like totally give up on and like tank 
but they're but that so then they wouldn't be able to tank. So they're like there's they're in a position where they're just slightly too good and they have enough like decent young players where they wouldn't want to basically just like throw away another season with what they have. Because like I guess if you like you mentioned the Hawks, I feel like the Hawks roster is completely garbage. Like John Collins. Oh, hold on, John Collins. John Collins. Uh, John Collins is nice. Uh, like Torian Prince is okay. Like they obviously have Trey Young now, but as a rookie, like I, I would Do you guess know who they could have had Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic. Yeah, like yeah. I would guess yeah. Trey. Young. Like I don't mind Trey Young. Like he, he'll he'll be. Oh, fun. I mind Trey Young. He'll, I, I mind. You do? I'm, okay. Hey, that's that's fair. Like you I know when I, I would not mind Trey Young, and this goes back. I don't want to go to another Trey Young Luka Doncic tangent, but I will say that all this could have been avoided if the Hawks had drafted fifth and did not trade down, and Trey Young was just sitting there. It's defensible to do it at that point, but um, it's not defensible to trade down and have Luka Doncic and uh, pass that up for a number eleven, number twelve pick in uh, next year's draft. Yeah, so I think say. Yeah, so I think the argument was that it would be there like the Hawks are a team that just has such like basically no building blocks besides, yeah. I guess John Collins and maybe Trey Young. So they're a team that's definitely they're definitely tanking again, and that the Bulls have some building blocks and other decent young players where if they were to tank again, like they would kind of, the way he said it was, they'd be basically kicking the can on some of these young guys. And like I said, you, you said you were fine, like not matching Levine, Levine offer sheet, which I think you could go both ways on that. Getting the four four seventy eight is basically towards the edge of what I was comfortable with. Once you started going over 20 million, it, that would have, that would have solved this really quickly. Really tough. Do you think Zach Levine can be one of your five in a Eastern conference finals playoff game. Can he be I, on the floor? I would, I, I would, if I would like put a percentage on it, I would say probably under fifty percent. But I would yeah. not completely rule it out because before he did get hurt, he was obviously his defense is freaking awful and he will have to get a lot better. But before he did get hurt, if he's like your third option as like an eighteen, like seventeen point, eighteen point game guy, and he's shooting forty percent from three, and his defense is passable. Whether it gets passable or not, I don't I mean, think it's ever going to get passable. That, that is the problem. That is, past that. <laughs> that, that is the problem. Like, will he ever? Yeah. The Bulls clearly believe that it will. And Paxson mentioned that again. Like, oh, Parker and Levine are young, and like they're tw- they they work hard. If they put in the effort, they can be solid defensively. When does it ever happen I, though? I, right. Get, I mean, can we even think of a player who like started off just horrible defensively, like all time bad defensively, like Jabari Parker and Zach Levine, and then turned into at least average? Defenders. I don't I really think about. It. I know. I, I agree. Like I'm. I am definitely. What would it be bearish on that happening? I still think he could be a useful player, whether a twenty million a year player, maybe not. So I get it. It is. That's what the Bulls are just kind of in. Like an interesting. That's. I think they're a super interesting team with where they're at because they have interesting young players. I just don't know if they're any good. So like they could be in a spot where they're like you like you kind of mentioned like the magic i think zach lowe also mentioned this the other day him and arnimitz i think a couple weeks ago did a podcast like the bulls and they were talking about interesting teams and the bulls were one of them because like they have interesting young players intriguing young players where if they come together well and like lowry ends up being awesome and if levine's at least useful a player and chris dunn becomes an average point guard maybe they and they come together well now they have jabari maybe they could be a fun team that attracts a big superstar free agent or they can trade they have these young guys that can put together in an ass in a package for a star and then and may and maybe they get really good again but they could also then or this next season it jabari is a disaster their defense is horrible they win 30 games and they get like an okay pick that's not that good and they add a decent player and then they end that's up, probably what and then they end down up, now they <laughs> end up to be, and then they end up being a team like the like the magic of the kings where they're just kind of in a cycle of picking like uh, five and with like 
promising young players that just never come to fruition. I would say I'm a bit more op- optimistic than that. I think the, I'm pegging them to win in like the low to mid 30s. But when people, like I mentioned, people are talking playoffs. I think there's a lot of Bulls fans that are going to be super optimistic. I had, a, I had a guy in my mentions say this morning that was like, oh, they're going to win 50 games. They have an awesome bench. I mean, obviously, they're going to be some super homer. 50? Optimist. Yeah. Obviously, they're, they're going to be your homer optimistic fans. Every all right, I take go. back all of my but, smart Chicago yeah. basketball fans. That's gone. But I think some people just have to tone it down. Like they, There are some fun young pieces here, but I mean, it's just hard for young teams to make such big jumps. But that's okay, because right. guess that, what? You're not playing for anything right I now. Agree. Because I completely agree with that. That's why I'm yeah. trying to say, like, it's okay if the Bulls win 35 games next year, but if they show like development... With oh, no, that's too many. Great. I, I'm already saying that's too many. No, I want them to be even worse. If I'm the Bull, if I'm a Bulls fan, I want them to be even worse. And if I'm a Bulls fan, I am terrified of sneaking into the playoffs next year. I mean, if they sneak into the playoffs with like 37 wins, I feel like that is awful. Like people will say, like, "Oh, getting the young guys, uh, uh, playoff, yeah. like whatever experience, yeah, going and getting throttled by the Celtics or Raptors or whatever is that's literally doesn't after we went. Th- they just did that a couple years ago. Like that doesn't. That doesn't really that really doesn't do it for me unless maybe Lowry comes out and puts up like twenty five a game when they're getting their ass kicked. But yeah, here's what they should start next year. Here's who should be getting thirty six minutes. And by the way, they're doing my dude wrong, who I will never give up on, who I think is really good and is going to get hurt by this Jabari signing and Zach Levine's return. Denzel Valentine, <laughs> I still think he's good, and he's a smart player. He's a good passer. He I I felt like he really evolved in that capacity last year. I think he's like one of those like Will Barton types, but it, like a really good shooter who can just play a bunch of different positions. Like, you're not really sure what he is because he's so big. Like he's six six two twelve. He's big. He's slow. And he's super he can't slow. Jump. <laughs> no, but he can shoot from anywhere. Yeah, he's super he's skilled. A really smart super skilled. Yeah. I, one of the, I I like to make fun of Denzel because he's like super overconfident about his abilities and like some of his great quotes in the past have been clear. Like he talked about him thinks he'd be the starting small forward. He thinks he. I agree. Guard, I'm right there with him. He could guard point guards. Like no, he can't do that. He's, <laughs> he's very very confident in his abilities, and I like to make fun of him for that. But he but he legitimately did get better. Did get better last year. He. He did shoot really well from three. He's a good passer. He's a solid rebounder for his position. He's a little over-anxious sometimes as a shooter with some of the threes he chucks up. But, I mean, the Bulls' offense, as bad as they were last year, I guess Denzel chucking a transition three, like contested transition three, maybe not the worst thing that happens considering the rest of their offense is usually crap. But, yeah, I mean, he's a useful piece off the bench to me. He was a positive eight points per 100 possessions last year for the Bulls when he played. He played 59% of his minutes at the three, 32% at the two, and even 7% at point. Like, he's just, I, I will never quit this guy. He is a <laughs> great basketball player, and I will not move on. And it's just, I can't do it. I, I think he's too interesting. And I think he, he shot 38% from three last year. He jacks up a bunch of threes yeah, he's per a, game. Like, he's yeah, a, like I said, he loves chucking transition threes, which I mean. Guess what? That's good. That's yeah. Especially on a bad team. Yeah. It makes it more enjoyable. So I would have done that, and I still think I would have played him a bunch of minutes just to really see what you have there. And Laurie at the four, Wendell at the five, and Justin Holiday, who I still really like to be like the veteran in that starting group, and Keith Bogans, then that Keith Bogans role <laughs> where you start him what they did down the stretch once they got um, fined or whatever it was for yeah. uh, intentionally uh, sabotaging the end of their season by not playing Lopez and Holiday altogether. Um, 
I that would be okay. And then I think Chris Dunn's the only one who I still want to see get a lot of minutes, even though I'm not a believer in him, obviously. I still think you kind of have to... Um, I mean, he is, I believe, 34 now already because he was in college <laughs> for as long as he was. So um, I don't see a lot of change in his game at this point. But uh, I still think you have to see that one through. But I feel like there's still something there where maybe he can get to another level. I don't see that with Levine and I don't see that with Parker. And I would just go down with Dunn, <laughs> Holiday, uh, Denzel, Laurie, and Wendell. It's going to lose a ton of games. But guess what? I think it'd be fun, and I think it would be much more prudent of a decision. Uh, it would get Hoiberg fired, so I understand why he does not want to do that. But uh, that's what I would do. If I'm running the Bulls this year, that's my game plan. Well, obviously, Zach Levine is here on 20 million years. So he will not be coming off the bench. Oh, no. But... I mean, he would be a bench player. Is he? He's not a better basketball player than Justin Holliday. Uh... Bulls fans are gonna hate me. I would. He's not would a better dis- basketball player. I would disagree with that. When Holiday was like their pseudo number one option at the start of last year, it was really, really bad. Okay, that's not he his w- fault. He's he was not a off. number one option, right? Yeah, he's not. But like, I would like he's a. I mean, he's like a fifth starter, and like I guess Levine could still has use as a like a number two option, even if his defense is absolutely atrocious. So I would I would disagree with that, although. He had a positive 6.7 per 100 possessions on off number. I don't know. That's was the plus 4.7 in New York. I don't know, man. He's puts up positive I th- plus I th- minuses I th- on bad teams. I think he's a very solid role player. And I, I, I think yeah. the Bulls should probably, at this point, given what they have, they should probably, I guess, just trade him for, I don't know, like a second round. Now pick. you're trading my dude? Yeah. You're sorry. trading the I, better player between him and Zach Bulls, Levine? Bulls need to get a, get some second round picks back. And uh, Justin oh, probably, probably get him one. <laughs> They don't like second round no, picks, they, as they, we know from the Jordan Bell stuff. No, they don't. No. Um, more money for Reinsdorf, though. Yeah. They acquire it and then some potentially equity. sell it for money. No. Some, uh, get some more equity there. Is there any positive spin on the Bulls offseason now other than Wendell Carter being awesome? <sighs> I was thinking, like, I have to write at some point here soon, like, grading in the Bulls offseason. Like if you would like some insight, I'm more than like, happy to continue to it, um, give you some great Bulls takes. Yeah, like... I would get like drafting Wendell looks awesome. Hutchison, I was not that impressed by him at Summer League, but maybe he turns out all right. He's another older, older guy. I think he's already 22, 23. He couldn't make any layups, so I'm not really sure about him. They apparently really loved him. They probably made a, they denied that they, or they, I don't even know if they denied that they made a promise to him, but they made a promise to him, basically, what I can tell. I don't know if that was the best move, but whatever. He's, he's seen, he could be all right. Uh, when it comes to Levine, I, I, it's, I understand why they matched it. I am with you that I am, have huge question marks about him ever becoming an impact player. I think I still think he'll be a lot better offensively. I guess one of my concerns, just with Levine and Parker, aside from the knee stuff, and I am curious to see, like, they, the Bulls could be a fun team with their style and how they play. I am curious to see, with those two there, and with Chris Dunn at point guard, what happens? Like how the the, sh- the hierarchy, the shot distribution turns out, and I am really hoping to God that Lowry does not get shunned or phased out of the offense. That was something I wrote about after I wrote after they signed Jabari. Like you got if Jabari's looking to get buckets and Levine's looking to get buckets like he was last year, and Chris Dunn is. Handle the balls a lot. Handle, handling the ball a lot. Like, where is Lowry going to fit into the offense here? So that is something I am somewhat concerned about. And 
about, about where, they're, where they're going with with this with this offseason. Wait, so you're saying it might be a bad idea to put in two more score first players around Laurie, where he gets less shots and less opportunity to grow? As yes, I am. I am slightly concerned about that. Mm. Uh, like I'm not sure if Lowry actually is a bona fide number one option. He still obviously has a lot of room to grow in terms of playing in the this post. Is when you try and find and, out, <laughs> but I do understand. So I'm like praying to God that Jabari turns into like just like a three point gunner specialist and doesn't ever doesn't hijack the offense. I'm not necessarily uh, confident that'll happen. I mean, he talks about how he's versatile and he's a playmaker. And they can create shots for others. I guess we'll see if that's the case. But I know last year, this is something I brought up, was how when Levine, Dunn, and Markin played small sample size, of course, it was really ugly. And Lowry did get phased out a bit. His rhythm was shot. His percentages and numbers were well down. So now you add Parker into the mix. And I just hope that that's not the case. So, like, if you, you would, like... would help that when that slog is on the court together? You know, Chris Dunn, uh, Zach Levine, and Laurie Markkinen? You know who would help sandwiched in between all of them? Uh, Justin Holiday. <laughs> no, Justin Holiday's the starter. So, in that, yeah, he's out of this uh, uh, example. Um, it's uh, Denzel Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't let anything get disrupted. He would have found Laurie's shots. He would have ensured that Laurie never got phased out of the offense because Denzel's that kind of player. And that kind <laughs> of guy. Yeah, we'll we'll see. So, like, I would give like the Bulls offseason right now probably like a like a C or C plus there is some upside there. I'm not as, as down totally as down on Levine and Parker as you are, but I do have, there's obviously concerns with the defense. I just talked about the concerns offensively, even though there's also potential for it to possibly be work and be fun. If Parker and if Levine, if they, if they, I guess, establish roles, if they, if they establish some type of hierarchy and if they're not just, basically going your turn, my turn, jacking up terrible shots, which Levine was jacking up tons of terrible shots last year. And I guess, I guess with him, I just hope that he, now that he's paid like a $20 million player, basically the highest paid player on the team, him and Jabari are basically neck and neck. I just hope he doesn't think that he has to like take it upon himself to like be a definite alpha and jack up 20 shots a game and stuff like that. So I mean, that, that's also a concern offensively. It's, it's it'll be interesting to see how all these parts do fit together. So like I said, there is some optimism in terms of just the pure talent that is on the court, but in terms of fit, how they play together, how Hoiberg mixes and matches their lineups and all that kind of stuff, I'm not sure, which is why basically I said this offseason is okay with potential to be better, but on the surface, it's just okay. I give them an F. <laughs> I, 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 I respect your your dedication to saying they're terrible i'm i'm probably copping out by saying that, that they're okay i'm trying I'm, tr- I'm trying to trying to be more optimistic but also recognizing it. it's kind of talking out both sides of my mouth i respect your dedication to saying that their offseason sucked i, what you're, I was just you, offended they got up to such a great start with wendell carter you couldn't all they had to do was nothing else give him a d minus because of no wendell you get an f <laughs> jabari parker and zach levine into this mix was just an automatic f <laughs> that is fair. That is totally fair. You've made, made made all your points very clearly on why that is. And let me be clear. Good. I want them to be good. Chicago, like I said, I want the Bulls to be good. I want them to make smart decisions. I want them to get back into the promised land. That would be great. These moves hinder that. And I think they're just shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. And it's just, I I, I don't think this ends well, unfortunately. I can't lie. That's just where, hey, it's just where my head's it's at. It's understandable. Like I said, yeah. I've... I have some optimism, but 
not nearly as much optimism as some other people. And I know there are people that feel like you. One of my good friends always complains to me about how he hates what the Bulls are doing, how he thinks they're going to be terrible, how he wants them to tank again. So you are you are not alone on this, this bandwagon, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Uh, sorry to make the, if this felt incredibly negative for oh, no, fans it's... listening. It's, um, I know you're used to this in the last uh, five or so years of the Garpax experience, but... Um, yeah, I just uh, unfortunately I have no good news for you guys right now. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. That's very possible. I'm wrong a lot, so that might be the case. But Jason, you're one of my favorite NBA guys to talk to. Um, we can find you on Twitter at bulls underscore j. We can read you at bulls blogger, fans at NBA, the step back, and a bunch of other places. Is there anything um, you have coming out this week that we should check out? Um, in terms of anything big, no. I just wrote on Jabari Parker signing recently at Bet Chicago. I've had some small little pieces that bloggable go up but i wrote about the, the jabari comments today some nothing no, so nothing too huge but uh and i'm trying to think of after this i guess we're we're heading into basically like the dead period of the year i, I also wrote about wendell carter jr summer league at bet chicago so the nice little breakdown of him and hutchinson's games I, like i said i was very impressed by wendell there and had some had a bunch of clips showing wendell doing good things with his defense his offense really Really fun to watch him play in summer league this year. So you check that out at Bet Chicago. Like I said, I wrote about Jabari at Bet Chicago. And besides that, just kind of uh, heading into the end of July, and gonna, there's really uh, going to be it's going to be kind of the dead period. So, so hope, hopefully, although basketball, the NBA news cycle usually at usually something crazy happens even in the dead of summer. So maybe we'll get something else crazy to happen. Like we just got the Kawhi trade today. Hopefully, uh, maybe we'll get some other crazy crazy crap to come up in the next month or two. While we wait for the season to start back up again, Jalil Okafor is available. So that is true. The Bulls can sign him. Yeah, I mean, just uh, get get the get the, get the sh- no defense Chicago crew together. I, there was it was funny. There was a report that just came out from a sporting news that was for with the workouts that he had, had in Vegas. Like it mentioned the it was really it was strangely worded. It mentioned like the Bulls had been interested at some point possibly, but they weren't at the weren't at the workouts, which I just kind of laughed. It's like, I don't even know what interest they're really talking about. I guess there was possibly interest when the Sixers were trading him, but I, can't, I don't really know who would sign Jaleel Okafor at this point because he's not any good. But it would be that would be a very another very ballsy move. Just, hey, we got another top three pick, and he's from Chicago. And it basically the same, the same thing as Jabari, except not nearly. I, I would have a lot more faith in Jabari being a good player than Okafor at this point. So Okafor is genuinely, genuinely awful. Oh my God. Dwayne Wade signing with the Bulls to cap off this offseason, isn't he? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm, I'm pretty confident that one not happening. Wade, I'm pretty sure, is either staying in Miami or he has just signed his lifetime deal with, however you say that, Chinese shoe company, Lining, yeah. Lining, or he'll just go off in the sunset and make his shoes and do his fashion and be married to Gabrielle Yoon, which isn't a which isn't a bad life, and like, live in Miami. Sounds great. <laughs> Ty Lawson and immediately become the Bulls' best point guard. <laughs> oh God, Alex Lynn, Jamal Crawford to oh, mentor his young Jamal Crawford. Ha- he hasn't Zach signed Levine. yet, has he? No. Oh, that's right. They'd, that'd be a nice reunion. He was a yeah. bull for uh, whatever three years. Yeah. Chuck, more, more chucking and more no defense. I mean, it would fit right in. Why not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man fun times all right jason i appreciate it and uh we will talk in soon sir absolutely thanks for me on again and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast 
or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Thank you.